0: Welcome to the June 3rd episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is 2 Chronicles 19-20. through 20. Hopefully, you've already spent time in God's Word, so let's get started. 2 Chronicles 19. Well, yesterday we read that Jehoshaphat uh, had married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Uh, He also had gone up to engage in a battle alongside Israel's army against the Arameans. He participated in that battle in spite of the fact that a prophet of the Lord had said Israel would be defeated and Ahab would be killed. Yet he went anyway. (laughs) Jehoshaphat is one of those kinds of uh, people that leave us scratching our heads in bewilderment. He desired to obey the Lord and lead his people to do so, yet he had no problem with befriending wicked people. He didn't encourage them to abandon their wickedness in order to follow the Lord. He just built a friendship with them that seemed to say, "I'm okay with your sinful lifestyle and your disdain for the Lord." So, he had to be confronted. And we read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 19 verses 1 through 3. King Jehoshaphat of Judah return to his home in Jerusalem in peace. Then Jehu, son of the seer Hanani, went out to confront him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Do you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the Lord's wrath is on you. However, some good is found in you, for you have eradicated the Asherah poles from the land and have determined in your heart to seek God. So essentially, Jehu told Jehoshaphat that his actions didn't make any sense. He had helped the wicked and loved those who hate the Lord. Yet, Jehoshaphat had also told, uh, was also told that uh, he had done some really good things in the early years of his reign. So the rest of this chapter lets us know that Jehoshaphat repented, even though that word isn't used in the text. Repentance seems to be the only explanation because the rest of the chapter recounts how he worked to lead in a time of spiritual renewal among the people of his kingdom. Listen to verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and once again, once again, he went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So Beersheba is in the south, and Ephraim was in the north, actually north of the nation of Judah. That's actually in the area of the nation of Israel. Uh, But it had been captured uh, previously, and so this verse tells us that that King Jehoshaphat went throughout the whole kingdom, from all the way in the south, all the way to the north, calling the people back to the Lord. So in verses 5 through 7, King King Jehoshaphat appointed judges over the people, and he made it clear that they were to serve the Lord while providing justice for the people. Listen to verse 8. Jehoshaphat also appointed in Jerusalem some of the Levites and priests and some of the Israelite family heads for deciding the Lord's will and for settling disputes of the residents of Jerusalem. So King Jehoshaphat instructed these Levites and priests to perform their tasks with the utmost integrity. Uh, They were also to teach the people that they needed to live for the Lord or, or they would bring the Lord's wrath upon the nation. They needed to do what was right or God would get upset at the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, really. Then we have the final word of instruction from King Jehoshaphat. Obviously, he is serious about following the Lord and leading his people to do so. Let me finish this little segment with reading to you verse 11. Note that Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters related to the Lord, and Zebediah, son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, in all matters related to the king. And the Levites are officers in your presence. This is Jehoshaphat speaking. Be strong. May the Lord be with those who do what is good. So Jehoshaphat seems to have repented, of what had happened uh, in his um, forming an alliance with King Ahab. He's come back. It seems as if he has learned his lesson, but not so much. We'll read about that in the next chapter. Second Chronicles 20 So is King Josaphat's resolve to serve the Lord fleeting, or is it something that is a complete change of heart? Well, to answer that question, we merely need to look at Josaphat's response, uh, what it was when trouble came. A former pastor of mine jokingly called it the doctrine of the tube of toothpaste. He said that you could tell what's inside of you when life gets tough because what is truly inside of you comes out when you get squeezed. Well, this chapter opens with three nations conspiring together against Judah and King Jehoshaphat. He is getting squeezed. And we're told that it was a vast number and that this army was at En Gedi. And Gedi is on the western shore of the Dead Sea, around the middle point from north to south. So depending on which route the army took, it was about a 30 to 40 mile trek to Jerusalem. What did King Jehoshaphat do when he felt the squeeze? Did he fall into self-reliance and try to work the problem himself? Or did he demonstrate true spiritual maturity by crying out to the Lord? Listen to verses 3 and 4. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. So Jehoshaphat, he knew how to fight and he did have an army. But they were in a position, the people of Judah were in a position where they were unprepared for what was coming their way. They would surely lose the battle. So Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord. There's certainly times when we must do our part. The farmer cannot plead with the Lord for a wonderful harvest if he hasn't bothered to plant his field. God has his part and we have our part. But spiritual maturity is demonstrated when we consciously uh, rely upon the Lord, even as we take responsibility for doing what we should do. But in those instances where we have done all that we can do and it still isn't enough, then we call upon the Lord and plead for his provision. That is what King Jehoshaphat is doing. So at this moment, when despair and hopelessness could overwhelm them, Jehoshaphat led his people in hopeful prayer. He gathered them together in the temple area and offered a prayer to the Lord. So as I read the first part of his prayer, listen carefully to what he's saying. So I'm going to read the first part of this prayer. I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 9, and I want you to listen carefully to what he's saying. What does he say about God, and why is he saying it? And what does he say about God's promises And why is he saying it? Okay, so you're listening. What does he say about God and why? And what does he say about God's promises and why? Okay, so let's listen to verses six through nine. Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name and have said, if disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, We will stand before this temple and before you, for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. So the first part of this prayer focuses on God's infinite power and how he used his divine power to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan so many years before. It also points to the friendship with Abraham and the promise he gave to inhabit the land of Canaan, the promise God gave to Abraham to inhabit the land of Canaan. Then he points to how the people of Israel constructed a temple for God and the Lord had promised that if they ever experienced trouble, then they were to pray to him toward the temple and he would hear and deliver. So essentially... Jehoshaphat is saying this. Now I'm going to restate it in my own words God, you are infinitely powerful and have used your power to bless us, your people. You have also given some precious promises to us, particularly a promise to inhabit this land and a promise to save us when we pray toward the temple. So, Lord, we're calling in those promises. <laughs> now, listen. To the last part of the prayer. That's the first part of the prayer. Listen to the last part of the prayer. Jehoshaphat is focusing on the Lord's power and the Lord's promises, and now he makes it clear that the Lord has put himself in a situation where he, the Lord, has an obligation to rescue the Israelites. Listen. This is because because what's going on is we hear the reasoning of Jehoshaphat, and this is a prayer that was answered after all. So this was a good prayer; it was prayed rightly. So we can learn from this, and so when we listen to the second part, listen to the reasoning that Jehoshaphat gives, that essentially says, "God, you have put yourself under obligation to come to our rescue, and so we're calling in, we're calling in the promise." Listen to verses 10 through 12. Now here are the Ammonites. So he's praying. He's still praying, right? Now here are the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. So did you catch what Jehoshaphat was praying? He said that when the people of Israel were making their way to Canaan hundreds of years earlier, the Lord didn't allow the Israelites to attack the land of the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Yet those very nations were now coming to attack Israel, and the people of Judah were completely unable to defend themselves against such a massive army, and this was utterly unjust, and the Lord would surely not stand by and watch such an injustice." Friend, it is beneficial to listen to the prayers on the pages of Scripture, particularly the prayers that were clearly answered. It's helpful to observe the line of reasoning in those prayers and then use the same sort of reasonings in our own prayers. So, As the people of Judah were gathered together, God's Holy Spirit came upon a man named Jehaziel, and he prophesied. He told the people, that they should not be afraid because the battle was not theirs, it was the Lord. So Jehoshaphat has prayed and people are wondering, has God heard? And then God's Holy Spirit came on this man, uh, Jehaziel, and he lifted up his voice and said, y'all don't have to be afraid. He's from southern Israel. Y'all don't have to be afraid. Uh, This battle isn't yours. It's the Lord's. The Lord's going to be the one who fights this battle. All you got to do is sit back and watch. And then he gave them instructions regarding what they were to do the next day. Listen to verses 16 and 17. This is the prophet, or really the son of a prophet, so I guess now he is a prophet because he's prophesying and it came true. He is speaking to the people of of Judah who are listening. He said, tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up uh, the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Well, Jehoshaphat had enough spiritual perception that he knew that the Lord was speaking through Jehaziel. Jehoshaphat had previously recognized that the Lord was not speaking through Ahab's prophets. Remember that? But he said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here in this area that we can consult? But something within Jehoshaphat's spirit testified to the fact that God was speaking through Jehaziel. So he led the people of Judah to bow low before the Lord with a deep sense of gratitude, relief, and worship. They had heard from the Lord. And then were told that some of the Levites stood up and started to praise the Lord with loud shouts. The people had heard from the Lord and they were responding in a way that gave expression to their faith and even increased it. Well Jehoshaphat and his people got up early the next morning. They didn't wait they had the promise of god that they would give uh have a great victory so they're ready to see him do it but faith sometimes is like a fire it needs to be stoked it needs some extra wood or coal in order for the fire to grow in regards to faith sometimes it needs some singing or confident words of encouragement to grow faith into a flame And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did that morning. He encouraged his people to trust in the Lord and in the words of his prophets, even as he appointed some people to sing with all their might. And they said, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. Right? So they were already living in light of the promise that they had not yet seen, that they had not yet seen the fulfillment of. They were already resting in what they believed God was going to do. They were building their faith, and that's what faith does. It enjoys today what hasn't yet happened. Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verses twenty-two through twenty-three says this: The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated. That's the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They were the ones who were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. So two-thirds of the army annihilated one-third of the army. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. So now the Ammonites and Moabites are fighting each other. (laughs) So we aren't exactly sure what happened Were there pre-existing tensions between the forces in this army? Did someone or some group within the army of Mount Seir do something that brought on the attacks of the Ammonites and the Moabites? And what happened to cause the Ammonites and the Moabites to fight each other? This passage does not tell us those answers. It simply gives credit where credit is due. The Lord brought this about so that he could fulfill his promise of rescuing the people of Judah as they cried out to him. So what did the people of Judah do? They collected all the valuables in the wilderness. (laughs) If they didn't collect the spoils of the Lord's war, someone else would have come and taken them. So the Lord gave them a victory and they were the ones to benefit from it. Friend, I just want to say that following the Lord is always the right thing to do, and quite often it is also the most beneficial thing to do. The spoils of war that the Israelites claimed were a financial benefit, but I've discovered that the Lord doesn't often bless us in that way. The blessings often come in a variety of other fashions— suppose someone uh, was to take the high road at uh, work and they obeyed the Lord in the in an area of integrity and uh, they may not have been blessed financially as a result of it. Maybe they didn't get a raise or a bonus or whatever else. they took the high road, they maintained their integrity at work, but maybe they weren't blessed financially but the Lord still blessed them. Uh, they may have been blessed with a clear conscience. They might be blessed with the respect of co-workers who watched them. The blessings could go on and on, but the most important is that one day they will hear the Lord say, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant friend, I'm telling you. That following the Lord is the way to blessing. He's the one that determines what kind of blessings. He's the one that determines uh, how much. He's the one that determines when the blessings will come. But take it to the bank. Following the Lord is the way to blessing. But make sure that as you follow the Lord, you're primarily doing it because you love the Lord and you want to do what he has called you to do. Let the blessings be the after effect. Let them be the fringe benefits. So one of the greatest blessings that the Lord can give us when we trust and obey Him is a heart filled with happiness. After all, that old hymn says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Well, when we see that they're trusting in the Lord, the Israelites are trusting, they're trusting the Lord to defeat this army, and they're obeying, they're doing what this prophet, as he spoke on behalf of the Lord, told them to do, so they were trusting the Lord and they were obeying him. What's one of the blessings? Verses 27 and 28. Then all the men of Judah and Jerusalem turned back with Jehoshaphat, their leader, returning joyfully to Jerusalem. So they were happy, For the Lord enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. So they came into Jerusalem to the Lord's temple with harps, lyres, and trumpets. And so one of the other benefits of following the Lord, of trusting him, and doing what he's told us to do is just the happiness that goes along with it. Well, then we read that God's blessings kept coming. The nations around Judah didn't want to mess with him, so Jehoshaphat's kingdom had rest from war. Well, as we come to the end of the chapter, we read that Jehoshaphat reigned for twenty-five years in Jerusalem. Uh, the Lord's assessment of him, according to verse thirty-two, was that he did not turn away from uh, the uh, the Lord's way, but did what the did what was right in the Lord's sight. Uh, this is remarkable, and it demonstrates God's grace given that Jehoshaphat tended to form alliances with the kings of Israel freely. Right. So the Lord's assessment was. Um, You know, that he did what was right in the Lord's sight. But, I mean, Josh Fat had this thing about um, building alliances with wicked kings, with with bad people. And yet, this demonstrates the Lord's grace in saying that he did what was right in the Lord's sight. Somebody may say, well, he only formed one alliance with King Ahab that we read about yesterday. Yet, as this chapter closes, we read that he did it again. (laughs) Verses 35-37, after this, Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, made an alliance with Israel's king, Ahaziah, who was guilty of wrongdoing. Why does this guy keep creating alliances with wicked kings in Israel? Jehoshaphat, I'll keep reading the text, Jehoshaphat formed alliance with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, son of uh, Dada-Vahu of Mereshach, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you formed an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord has broken up what you have made. So the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. (laughs) I suppose the one thing we can learn from King Jehoshaphat, there's other things, but the one thing I see, the big thing that just pops out to me, is that we need to be so careful who we befriend. When we look at Jesus, we realize that we must love unbelievers. We must love sinners so much that we mingle with them in order to share the good news of the gospel with them. But from Jehoshaphat, we learn that we'd better not form alliances and essentially affirm their lifestyle. In so doing, we'll incur God's discipline and judgment upon ourselves let's pray Lord Jesus help us to obey you with all of our hearts but Lord help us to also realize how serious it is when we mingle with and are seen to affirm people who are in known grievous unrepentant sin We never want to become like a self-righteous Pharisee. We know all too well that we're sinners too. But neither do we want to affirm the sin of those who are diametrically opposed to you. Help us love others enough to spend time with the most grievous of sinners, but to do so for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them and pointing to a better way, not to affirm their sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If looking over the script for this podcast would be beneficial to you, hop on over to my website at matsmusings.net. I'll provide a link in this episode's show notes to my website. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you tomorrow.